This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. Thanks for tuning in to Trumpet Hour today. I'm Joel Hilliker. We're going to start the show by talking about yesterday's elections in America. Very interesting results in many ways. The political plot in America continues to thicken. The big takeaway in most media outlets is this was a disaster for Donald Trump. It certainly wasn't the big win for Republicans that the polls had suggested it would be. And there are a lot of races yet to be called. This is now apparently normal in America. We don't know yet which party will control the Senate. It looks like Republicans will control the House, uh, but we don't know by how much. Several governor's races are yet to be called. What does this election mean for America? From the standpoint of biblical prophecy, what conclusions can we draw at this point? To talk about this, here in the studio, we have trumpet writer Andrew Miller. Hello. And we also have Trumpet Daily contributor Sam Livingston. Glad to be here. Uh, Later in the show, we're going to hear a report from Jeremiah Jacques that shows just how aggressive Chinese global ambitions are in 54 other countries, to be specific. A new report shows that China is establishing what are called overseas police stations, where they're cracking down on dissent far outside Chinese territory. We'll also hear a report from trumpet writer Josue Michels about the digital euro. Europe is moving away from cash. Banks are closing branches as people do more business online. The centralization of power over currency and over buying and selling in commerce points to an important biblical prophecy, as we'll see. At the end of the program, we'll get some practical advice on a very important question. How can you know which church to attend? This is an aspect of life you want to get right, and the Bible gives some very specific guidance on it. Okay, let's start talking about America's midterms. Appreciate you gentlemen coming in here. You know, I keep thinking about the fact that that God is in charge. I talked about this in the trumpet brief that we sent out uh, last night. There's an unseen dimension going on here. Romans 13 verse 1 says, There's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So he has the ultimate say. He's going to ensure everything unfolds according to his prophecies. And that's important to remember. There's so many machinations going on in an election like this, men working things out in their favor and trying to get an advantage for their political party. But the ultimate outcome lies with God. So I want to frame this discussion in terms of what God is accomplishing here, uh, how these elections fit in with his prophecies about America. We'll, we'll talk about this as we go through. But uh, I also just wanted to start by talking about a couple of anomalies in recent elections in America, how these have suddenly become very common. One of them is how long it takes to get results. It used to be you'd, you'd, you'd know exactly what was going on before you went to bed in most cases. Uh, we still have five Senate seats undecided, Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, these crucial swing states that have really had some troubling issues with voting irregularities in recent years, something like 64 House seats that are not completely uh, decided, about five governor's races. Another oddity that is now common is the polling cannot be trusted. Uh, left-wing media said this would be a red wave, maybe a red tsunami. That didn't happen. 
there, there definitely were some gains by Republicans in some places, but not enough to flip, flip uh, some of these Democrat areas red. So this should be no surprise, really, to any of us. The big takeaway in the mainstream media is this was a drubbing for Donald Trump. I, I saw an interview yesterday with him where he said, you know, he had endorsed something like 300 candidates. Uh, and, well, what would he say after the results came in? He said, well, I think if they win, I should get all the credit. And if they lose, <laughs> I should not be blamed at all. Uh, but he said, you know, you're going to see the opposite. If they do well, I'll get no credit. If they fail, I'll get all the blame for that. And really, that's exactly what happened. Uh, they're saying that Trump was the loser yesterday, that this is this really breaks his hold on the Republican Party. That's definitely the spin that they're trying to put on it. But at the same time, you have more than 90 members in the House who he endorsed. Uh, the Republicans really have quite a large MAGA caucus uh, in in Congress now. Uh, what are your thoughts, Sam? Yeah, and then I think a lot of people don't mention just how much infighting there was in the Republican Party itself. Mitch McConnell, the Senate leader, and Kevin McCarthy are not the most <laughs> inspiring candidates, and they were working against a lot of the Trump-endorsed candidates like the senator in New Hampshire. Mitch McConnell just totally backed out of what should have been, to many, a pretty competitive race. And then he mostly was backing the nominees or the candidates in Washington state and Colorado. And then, again, those are supposed to be competitive states or what many thought would be and then just did horrible. So there's, like you said, it does seem like there's this this active movement to shift everything to Ron DeSantis now, but there's a lot of that other infighting that gets discounted. And like you said, Donald Trump can't win either way with with his own party. If he did do well, they would still be pointing at Ron DeSantis. But a lot of people don't point out that how close Ron DeSantis was in 2018 to not winning that race. Mm. He was riding the Trump momentum to get in there. And then there are Trump candidates who also did do very well, like J.D. Vance in Ohio. Um, and then still... It still looks like in Arizona that Kerry Lake is going to come back with a lot of momentum right now. I'm just looking at it. There's 70% of the vote in, and she's closed that gap to 30,000. Hmm. Despite all of the strange things that happened yesterday morning right. at the polling centers there in Maricopa County. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about this Ron DeSantis win for a second, because this, this is another uh, narrative that you're really seeing uh, played up, this victory. I mean, the, the left is really excited about a Ron DeSantis victory <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, because it splits the Republican Party. You, they want to uh, to play up this this battle between these two alpha males, <laughs> you know, Donald Trump and, and DeSantis. So this they say is a big prospect. Uh, this really challenges uh, Trump's 2024 run. Yeah, I was laughing last night at how excited CB the CBS panel was about Ron DeSantis <laughs> absolutely dominating in Florida. Yeah, they were just giddy about that, and and it. I think the Florida thing is is amazing what he did there coming in and barely becoming governor in 2018. I think he won by 02 percent. And now coming in and winning by a 20% margin is incredible. I would point out a lot of people have moved to Florida. Mm -hmm. It's one of the main states that has done a lot to really address voter fraud. It's probably 
Florida and Texas where you've actually seen people get arrested for violating hmm. um, election laws, voting twice or being uh, a felon in voting. So that has been enforced and addressed there. And you look at the states where, you know, it seemed like they were competitive, but the leadership there are Democrats, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada. Mm-hmm. If that's not reconciled in 2020, well, you would just wonder what's happening going in 2022. Right. Why those states that should be competitive, or Republicans didn't do well in, the states that were competitive where Republicans were in control, they absolutely <laughs> obliterated. Even Texas was a, a much larger win mm-hmm. than people were expecting, not even really close between Abbott and O'Rourke. And then Georgia, again, the governorship there. There is a big difference, I think, between state and federal elections, too. Who people vote as a governor isn't always going to be who they want representing them in the Senate or the House. Hmm. And you do see that in some of these close races as well. Well, this uh, this subtext of uh, the election, how fair is it? How much confidence can we have in these results? This has really been a big story leading up to this election. First of all, I mean, I, I, I thought it was interesting in just watching the coverage last night how much they uh, they they kept putting up. I, I was just kind of flipping through several different stations, and I kept seeing uh, this is how many election deniers there yep. are that are uh, that are running for office. Uh, I think there are there were about 140 people on on uh, the ballot between the Senate and the and the House, and maybe it was governors and also state uh, secretaries of state uh, that uh, that they were talking about who said no, 2020 was not free and fair. Mm-hmm. Um, over 100 of them won yesterday. Uh, this really makes the left go nuts. But we have the a lot of Democrats who were saying, we, we talked about that Politico piece that, was, that, was, uh, that came out just a day or two ago, saying, you know, there are things that we need to be concerned about yep. uh, with this election. They also, of course, said that 2016 was not fair, that Russia definitely hacked that. Uh, 20, uh, 2020, absolutely perfect. Yeah. Um, but, but now it's everything was just fine as far as they're concerned and anyone who would deny it if that then, uh, but how much, how much confidence can we have in, in these results? Do you have any thoughts? I do think that's one, probably one of the big things that's going to come out of this election is just the potential, uh, for more people to find out about what happened in the 2020 election and even this election in terms of voter fraud. Because uh, uh, like you said, the the Republican victory in the House, (laughs) they're probably going to keep it by a very slim margin, maybe a six, seven seat majority. But it does seem that the candidates Trump endorsed did well. So there's (laughs) a little bit more shift away from the mainstream Republicans to the uh, so-called MAGA Republicans. Uh, in the House of Representatives, and it is the House of Representatives that controls, uh, you know, like the House Intelligence Committee and the House Judiciary Committee and mm. some of these other committees that, like, if you're going to have a federal investigation of something like election fraud, um, it's going to go to the House. Uh, for the past two years, you haven't had any of those investigations because now, because the Democrats controlled the House, it's like not now. Not only do the Republicans control the House by a very slim majority. Uh, but like you said, they've got m- more so-called MAGA Republicans mm-hmm. in there. 
Um, I think uh, oh, the the number I saw is Trump this morning. He got up this morning. He was boasting that he uh, 174 of the candidates he endorsed won races, and only nine candidates that he endorsed lost races. Mm. So basically, saying that he said everyone's saying this is a bad night for me, but he's like he said he's like of the people I endorsed. They did really well, so it's like if the if the Republicans didn't do well, it's because the people were voting for Democrats instead of Rhino Republicans. Mm-hmm. But the people that I I was back that he was backing, and the people that uh, are more likely to start investigating something like election fraud, got into office, and that could be pretty big because I mean there was uh, it looks like this Arizona Senate race is going to be kind of long and drawn out, and there were a lot of. Uh, glitches with those voting machines, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Or in our Trumpet Daily radio program, um, Mr. Stephen Flurry was talking about that yesterday about the tally machines that they keep feeding ballots into them and it wouldn't count all of them. So yep. uh, we'll see. I mean, I guess it, maybe they'll call it in uh, <laughs> a couple hours and I'll, I'll look foolish. But it is possible that over the next couple of days you could be having some pretty uh, uh, pretty big fights over whether <laughs> Arizona. Re- whatever they call it for, if they call it for the Democratic Party, whether that's actually true or not. Well, that that's definitely something that Carrie Lake has been very strong about. If she gets into power, then she's going to make sure that all of those irregularities are taken care of, that Arizona voting is secure and safe. And uh, so, yeah, like you said, we will see what happens there. But I, I this go, getting back to this point about Republicans taking control of the House. This is one thing that I've I've uh, wondered about is, is it possible that for as much as Gerald Flurry has talked about God wanting to expose the corruption and the wrongdoing that took place that uh, that you really see entrenched in government uh, in recent years through the uh, through the Obama years that wasn't completely dealt with during the Trump years. Um, how important is it that you have Republicans in control of those House committees to be able to uh, to dig into some of those things and actually expose uh, some of the wrongdoing. I think that really could be uh, a, a major outcome of this election. Right. Mer- Merrick Garland and the uh, Justice Department aren't going to do that type of right. investigation. They work for the, the and re- and really for that type of investigation on the federal level. It's it's either a House committee, a Senate committee, or um, or the Justice Department that does that type of thing. So like I said, the Justice Department's not going to do it. So it's really, uh, if there's going to be any exposure of the election, uh, MAGA Republicans in the House is really the best chance of that happening. Uh, and that, like I said, that hasn't even been able to happen till till now uh, because Democrats have controlled the, the House for all that time. Flipping, I think, to some of the states where there was a lot of, Fraud in 2020 would go a lot for those those state candidates. At this point, it looks like that's just going to be potentially in Arizona, where if Carrie Lake gets in there, mm-hmm. that was a state that everyone was questioning how it went blue in 2020. If she gets in there and can now expose all of that, you could see something where that just does open the gates for these other states. But if you don't get the governor or the secretary of state or the attorney generals in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, they can just maintain mm-hmm. hold over all of that information. Right. Witness Pennsylvania. What, yeah. what a strange. <laughs> that was a good one. 
Yeah, your thoughts on... That was the one they were saying, <laughs> this is going to take weeks before we know the the winner here. And then I think to everyone's surprise, they called it last night, which I, just a few hours even, maybe three, four hours after the polls closed. I think that's the state I was reading one commentator just talk about how you still have a lot of the pandemic-related voting mm -hmm. things and how much this has changed the way people vote. There are over 600,000 people who voted early voting before Fetterman even debated Oz, and the whole nation was able to see just how really inept he is as a candidate. Mm -hmm. um, so you... 600,000 votes. 600,000 people voted before yeah. the debate. So you it changes the way you campaign because you're losing those independent voters very early before dramatic things can happen. Mm -hmm. So there, and then you get into the mail-in ballot, mail-in ballots again, it, it wasn't as big as it was in 2020, but it's still in a race where Fetterman is up by, I think it's 50,000 at this point. Yeah, Those ballots, you'd think, well, how come they aren't taking weeks to count them like they did again? And obviously the the Democrat is ahead, so they'll they'll call that pretty quickly. I suspect if Oz was ahead by that amount, this race would not be called right now. You know, something, uh, another thought that I've had is within a democracy, uh, the people get the leaders they deserve to to some degree or another, or even the, the policies, you know, and maybe we can, we can talk about some of the other things that people were voting on yesterday, but allegations of cheating aside... Um, you know, we, we focus on some of these really tight races, but the fact is there are a lot of races that were not tight. Yep. Uh, you had, uh, leftists that won handily. Um, I, I saw one headline in, uh, New York Mag that said Democrats pulled off the strongest performance by an in part in power party in two decades. Like generally the midterms are, uh, work pretty, pretty hard against the, uh, the, the party in power. In this case, you have like historically low <laughs> numbers for, you know, president uh, for the president, his his approval rating. And you have this abysmal economy, high inflation and all of these problems. Um, and and still you have uh, Democrats outperforming expectations. This really is extraordinary. I just want to get your your thoughts on what we learned about American voters yesterday. Yeah, I don't have to remember. I saw something <laughs> on, a, uh, I think with Fox News and CNN, did a version of of like the top issues for American voters. Yeah. Yeah. And I was kind of surprised because it said, like, said for Republicans, they said like inflation was right up at the top, like immigration was right underneath that. Inflation and immigration were definitely the big thing. The, crime. This, uh, election. Crime was uh, at least top five, probably the third one. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think things like... Uh, abortion or gun control were lower on what the average Republican was concerned about at the moment. Uh, but said for the Democrats, like abortion and gun control were like right, right up at, at the, the top. top. They're like, and democracy, the, and the democracy. future of democracy <laughs> and the future of democracy. Yeah. That's a strange concept that they're, they're talking like <laughs> millions and mil like 120 million people show up to vote and like CNN's talking about like, well, why aren't they concerned about democracy? I'm like, well, <laughs> 120 million people turning up to vote is a, a fairly 
robust robust exercise <laughs> in democracy. Yeah. But uh, I know I was just surprised at that, that, uh, that they're amongst like Democrats, that so many people were just so concerned about abortion, uh, even from a non-religious standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, uh, obviously, like if, even if you don't believe abortions murder, just like with inflation as bad as it is and things like that, like what, why isn't that more on your your radar and i I guess you you mentioned that those were other things where they put um now that roe v wade's been overturned abortion's no longer a federal right uh it's uh up to the states but voters in california vermont and michigan all uh approved ballot members last night enshrining abortion rights into their state constitution Mm -hmm. so it may not be a federal constitutional right but there's at least three states that last night made sure that they put it in their state constitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they had several uh, several drug ballots as well. Uh, I think the uh, Missouri uh, and uh, Maryland, Missouri and Maryland, were the two states that uh, moved to make uh, marijuana legal for uh, recreational uses. So these are definitely, you mentioned about like in a democracy, like you get what you're... <laughs> you get what the people voted for and it did seem that like say a drug legalization uh and uh abortion were were big issues and why people were voting for democrats as much as they did last night yeah yeah you you definitely uh this 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 story about the polarization in america and how we really are becoming kind of two countries that people are kind of moving to the extremes on on both sides uh, is really evident when you have uh, some of the some of the outcomes that we we saw yesterday. I actually saw one one big takeaway that uh, one um, one article that I read said was that for the president's party, the the key to averting massive midterm losses is apparently to keep inflation high and presidential <laughs> approval low. Uh, it, it it is quite extraordinary that people will double down uh, with as much evidence as there is of the kind of disastrous policies that are coming out of the uh, the current administration that they would they would say this is the the right direction this is the way that we want to go with as brazen as some of the lies that we have heard entering public discourse have been to to say yeah we're just fine with that. Yep. Uh, it to me that really does tell you something about about the people in this country. That's what I to me when I was seeing that, and you hear all of these exit polls, like Andrew was saying, people are concerned about inflation, crime. To me, that's where I would start raising eyebrows: is how are these issues so important to where seventy five percent of the nation is dissatisfied with Joe Biden? And yet they go to the polls and apparently they despise Donald Trump so much that they're willing to overlook inflation and crime and these things that are actually personally hitting them because their hatred is so intense for the man they elected to be president four years or in 2016. That's that to me, we either have a huge problem with the way polling works in this country, which seems to be a problem since 2016 for sure but how is it that although i guess on on that what's interesting is that in the past it's been favorable to democrats that the polling yeah. tends to skew 
to the left, uh, whereas in in this case, like some of the some of the polls that you're describing, actually uh, overestimated mm-hmm. the the uh, the position of the the Republicans. Yeah, yeah, which is why I think this is just one of the strangest elections we've seen. Because, like you say, if if there's that much, if if Biden's approval rating is that low Mm -hmm. usually they just get wiped out in the midterms and how is it or what is it that like you said do people despise donald trump that much that they're willing to overlook inflation and crime and vote for the democrat or like we were saying maybe those issues really are more important than the polls pick up i know that the polls from what i've read overlook a lot of younger people Mm. Um, so perhaps that was a stronger turnout than they were expecting. But like we were saying, it does say a lot about the people when mm-hmm. people, a candidate like Fetterman does even get 2 million votes. I mean, you could contest it, but at the end of the day, over 1.5 million people did vote for him in some way. Just how strong these issues are for them. I mean, people want abortion and they want mm-hmm. uh, drug legalization. Yeah, I I think uh, just to return to the point about how God does uh, kind of authorize uh, those these results, whether it's the people voting or whether to what whatever degree there was fraud involved in some of these outcomes, uh, it's it's not happening like while God has his back turned. So, uh, what is He accomplishing here, and how do uh, these results that we see fit in with His prophecies about America? I, you know, I I think it's easy to foresee uh, the left really uh, kind of crooning after this election and saying, "Well, hey, uh, this wasn't nearly as bad as as uh, was predicted." This shows, you know, there's a more support for Joe Biden. There's more support for the Obama agenda for America. Than, uh, than has been advertised. All of this talk that you know there's this big backlash. Well, that's that's not uh, accurate. Uh, and I, I just think about that that prophecy in Second Kings fourteen twenty six that says this is very bitter <laughs> affliction for America. That there's no helper for Israel. Um, it does seem like this whole political story that is unfolding in America right now is just going uh, much further in a direction that we that that seems kind of uh, counter to um, to that prophecy that uh, that Gerald Flurry has been highlighting so much that Donald Trump is going to come back it's gone much further in that direction than we expected I mean we we didn't even think that that Biden would take power um, and here you could you could see this going even further in that direction after the results from this election. A- any of you have any thought about why uh, why that may be, why God may be allowing it to to unfold the way that he is? Well, that, well, that better affliction angle is interesting. I, I did see one report that stock markets have calmed a little bit with election reports just because um, – since the Republicans did get into the House barely, that there, there's some hope that they'll at least rein in, rein in some of the out of control spending, mm. um, and I guess we'll see, <laughs> uh, we'll see if that happens. But uh, it seems like with the slim majorities, and then with the the Biden administration's ability to do it, like what Obama did when the Republicans took the um, took the midterm elections in his. 
uh, so, tenure, uh, w where he's able to rely more on executive action. That a lot of these things, like the the war against uh, the American energy industry, the uh, the money printing and stuff like that, is going to continue for a while. Which means that inflation's probably going to be with us for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, high interest rates are going to be with us for a while. Like high gas prices are going to be with us for a while um uh things that like you, you you do have that prophecy in second kings about a bitter affliction that the jeroboam figure has to uh, save the nation from and uh i think that, that that prophecy has really been much more dramatically fulfilled under obama's uh, pseudo third term yep. than during his actual two terms in office during his actual two terms in office he wrecked our foreign policy um and sabotaged a lot of our relationships with our allies, uh, but but I, I was I was working in the oil industry at the time, and the the economy was pretty good. I, mm. I, I look back with a little bit of nostalgia, right? The Obama, <laughs> uh, the Obama years <laughs> <laughs> and the low inflation and uh, the, the the good job numbers and stuff like no, that. No, it's but a you great definitely point. Definitely can't say that yeah. now. The affliction is worse. Yeah, under uh, under Biden, and it's and it's due to to get worse. And uh, yeah, you look at it in light of the the larger picture of the United States in prophecy and uh, what we can expect. And uh, some of these things that uh, the the damage that is being done to the country, I think it would be very difficult to reverse entirely. You could see some kind of a, a turnaround. Uh, when Trump returns, but um, but some of these things I think are probably irreversible, and it does it does seem like uh, God is uh, you know He's allowing that to happen to the degree that He wants to to try to turn people around and and lead people to repentance. Uh, one thing is clear: you cannot trust governments of this world to uh, to for for justice for you know correcting some of these evils we really do have to look to god ultimately for uh for the solutions to these problems well that is about the time that we have we've been talking with andrew miller and sam livingston about yesterday's elections in america i'd encourage you to stay tuned later this morning 11 a.m central time for the trumpet daily with stephen flurry he'll be giving uh, more coverage on what happened yesterday and Keep tuned to thetrumpet.com. Uh, we will uh, continue to provide more coverage of the results from this election as they come in. This is the voice of the Trumpet News Magazine. You're listening to Trumpet Hour. China is well known for its authoritarian tactics in ruling its own people within its borders. Reports are emerging of extraordinary measures it is taking to rule people in other nations as well, as we will now hear in this report from Jeremiah Jacques. The Chinese Communist Party has established at least 54 stations that are being called overseas police stations in 21 different countries across five continents. A new report by Safeguard Defenders brings together many details about these bases. It's called 110 Overseas Chinese Transnational Policing Gone Wild. 
And this report is a real bombshell. It shows that the Chinese Communist Party is not content to just control China. It's increasingly clear that it has eyes on the whole planet and is actually taking practical steps to be able to enforce its will in all corners of the globe. Illegal Chinese police stations have been found operating in Africa, Asia, Europe, and North and South America. So far, they've found one in Germany, three in France, four in Italy, and nine in Spain. There are also three in Toronto, Canada, two are in London, in the UK, and one was found in New York City. Last month, the Irish Foreign Ministry reported one of these Chinese police stations operating in Dublin without permission from the Irish government, and a spokesman for the Irish Foreign Ministry said, The department noted that actions of all foreign states on Irish territory must be in compliance with international law and domestic law requirements. On this basis, the department informed the embassy that the office should close and cease operations. End quote. The Chinese embassy claimed that the station there in Dublin was only designed to help Chinese citizens with services such as renewing driver's licenses. And that's the basic argument that the Chinese make about essentially all of these stations. But evidence is being uncovered showing that that is not at all the reality of this situation. Lara Harth is campaign director for Safeguard Defenders. In a recent interview, she said, One of the aims of these campaigns is to crack down on dissent and to silence people. So this means if you're a critic of the Chinese Communist Party, then even if you have fled China, you could very well find yourself in one of these illegal stations at the mercy of CCP enforcers. And Harth points out that most Chinese who have fled the country still have family members back home in China. And it's well known that the Chinese Communist Party, or the CCP, will target family members in situations like that. So this threat keeps most Chinese living abroad from blowing the whistle on the coercion that they face in these Chinese police stations. If they tell the authorities in Ireland, or whatever nation they're in, then there's a reasonably good chance that their family members back in China will face some consequences. In a separate report, data from the Chinese government shows that these measures are paying big dividends for the CCP. It says that from April 2021 to July of 2022, at least 230,000 Chinese people living in other nations were, quote, persuaded to return to China in order to face criminal proceedings. 230,000 people. That's an eye-popping number, and it shows that these illegal bases are having a wide impact in the nations where they operate. Wang Jingyu was one victim of these illegal tactics. After criticizing the Chinese government on social media, he fled from police in China and eventually made his way into the Netherlands. But shortly after arriving in the Netherlands, Wang was arrested and brought to a Chinese police station in Rotterdam, and they pressured him to return to China. A major component of their tactics with Mr. Wang involved threatening his family if he refused to comply. So he complied. 
He turned himself over to the Chinese judicial system, which is well known to torture prisoners in order to extract confessions and to find more than 99.9% of accused persons guilty. Once an individual is found guilty in China's system, that means very often that they will be executed within just 72 hours. And China executes more prisoners each year than the rest of the world combined. Lara Harth said that at the core of this campaign is a desire by the Chinese Communist Party to have power worldwide. She said, quote, This is really part of a growing transnational campaign to instill the same regime of political terror inside China across the whole world. End quote. So that really gets at the heart of what makes this so disturbing. It is well known that Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party that he leads are tightening their grip on all aspects of life inside China. Xi is turning the nation into a full-fledged dictatorship where his will is done in every arena. But that's not enough for him. He doesn't want his people to be able to escape abroad. He doesn't want anyone to be outside of his reach especially those who have worked against or criticized his party. So now he's targeting people far and wide in 54 countries around the world. 230,000 of them have already been forced back into China through this program where they are facing, in many cases, unspeakable consequences. And how long before he broadens the scope of this campaign so that he can go after not just Chinese dissidents living abroad, but anyone of any nationality that's operating in a way that he finds unacceptable. This is an alarming development, and the investigators with Safeguard Defenders are right to be calling attention to it in hopes of convincing the nations of the world to stop letting China operate these illegal police stations. This kind of campaign should wake the world up to what Xi Jinping's China has become and what its vision for the future is, because that is a dark future. And this is actually a future that the Bible warned us about some 2,000 years ago. There's a passage in the book of Luke in chapter 21 that says a global age will begin in the modern era that the scripture there calls the times of the Gentiles. In the February 2020 issue of the Philadelphia Trumpet, Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry wrote about this future time. He writes, These times of the Gentiles are yet to be fully realized. However, we are in the outer edges of this catastrophic storm. Mr. Flurry goes on to explain that the term Gentile here is talking about peoples other than the Israelites who descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Modern Israelites, he explains, include the Jewish nation called Israel, but they also include the people of the United States and Britain and others. He writes, Once you understand who Israel is, then you can see how the Gentiles, the non-Israelite peoples, have started to take charge of the world already. For decades, American and British leadership was an imperfect but an overwhelmingly stabilizing force for humankind. But now, the U.S. and Britain are declining, and Gentile nations such as China are beginning to aggressively fill the void. The way Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party ruthlessly rule China 
and the way they're now waging this furtive campaign to target CCP enemies in nations all around the world. This gives us an indication of what the times of the Gentiles will be like. To understand more about the times of the Gentiles, which we're already entering into, and to learn about the beautiful hope that the Bible tells us to watch for in connection with this soon coming era, read Mr. Fleury's article, The Climax of Man's Rule Over Man. is Trumpet Hour with Joel Hilliker. Europe is moving away from cash and toward a digital euro. This is a trend with important prophetic implications, as we will now hear in this report from Josue Michels. The European Union is actively working on creating a digital currency. This week, the German finance minister, Christian Lindner, also signaled his support for the digital euro. Here's why the days of cash are numbered. Lindner tweeted on November 7th, quote, We should use the introduction of a digital euro for a major leap in innovation. Digital cash can make our everyday lives easier and be a growth engine for the economy, end of quote. Due to the many negative comments, he later clarified, quote, There's no talk about abolishing cash. On the contrary, we are working to ensure that the planned digital euro has the same properties in terms of privacy as the printed and minted euro, end of quote. In a 2022 report, the German Central Bank noted that people withdrew an average of around 10% less in 2021 than they did in 2017. Studies found that between 2017 and 2020, the proportion of cash payments sharply declined. The trend further accelerated in 2020 due to the coronavirus pandemic and lockdown policies. For many in Europe, paying with cash is simply a habit. Others see it as a way to keep their transaction private, as opposed to using online payments, checks, credit and debit card payments. Also, some simply don't trust the banking system and choose to store cash in their homes. But having cash may become more and more an inconvenience. Since more customers do their business online, banks have closed branches nationwide in Germany. One German bank took it a step further and announced the closing of all its branches by December 1st. According to Finance Szene, the bank informed its customers, quote, deposits and withdrawals at a branch, counter as well as ATM, will no longer be possible in the future, end of quote. While the bank didn't completely eliminate its customers' ability to get cash, it shows how quickly something we take for granted can end. This may just be the beginning of a major change. The European Union is working to create a digital currency that could change the lives of every citizen. 
the less cash is used, the less banks will see it as the obligation to offer it and the easier it will be for the government to outright ban it. Even though Digital Euro promises to provide the option of spending money anonymously, everyone knows that once physical cash is abolished, these privacy features could vanish overnight. In a cashless society, the government could electronically track and control ongoing transactions. It could also overregulate the use of other payment providers or outright ban them. On the other hand, the introduction of a digital euro could allow Germany and the eurozone to rise to new economic strength, as Germany's finance minister indicated. We were very likely to see both of these outcomes in the next few years. The Bible does reveal that Europe in our day will become an economic superpower. It also shows how it will use this power. Revelation 17 and 18 prophesy of a coming European empire of ten nations or groups of nations. These nations will unite in a powerful financial system that may include a digital euro. Herbert W. Armstrong wrote in the August 1959 plain truth that this coming conglomerate of nations quote, is merely the continuation of the ancient Babylonish system, a union of politics and religion and great economic cartels whose purpose is to rule the world, end of quote. Revelation 18, verse 3 reads, And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. A parallel prophecy in Isaiah reveals that Europe is prophesied to become the marketplace for the nations. Isaiah 23, verse 3 in the New King James Version. In the context of financial supervision, the Bible reveals Europe will receive unprecedented control over its citizens. Revelation 13 verse 17 reads, No man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. New technologies make the fulfillment of this prophecy easier than ever, but many misunderstand the scripture. Referring to this scripture, Herbert W. Armstrong wrote in 1952, quote, Everyone wants to be able to buy or sell. In this scriptural usage, the expression buy or sell more literally indicates being able to buy, not at stores or those from whom one might make purchases of the necessities of life would refuse to accept the money, but that the one refusing the mark would not be able to buy would not be able to earn a living, to earn a wage or salary, or engage himself in business." End of quote. Those who want to participate in any form of commerce will have to take on the mark of the beast, meaning everyone will be forced to keep the government's laws. The Bible uses the symbol of beast to portray empires. See Daniel 7, Revelation 13 and 17. Revelation 17 shows that the final world-ruling empire will be the seventh resurrection of the Holy Roman Empire. In who or what is the prophetic beast 
Mr. Armstrong explained what the mark of the beast is. Quote, the Roman Church caused people to receive the mark of pagan Rome, the Sunday observed by the pagan Roman Empire, and the penalty for disobedience was death. Fifty millions or more were put to death. So says history, the Sabbath commandment is the only commandment the world will not accept in its mind, forehead, and obey by work or rest with the hand. It is the only commandment that can distinguish between those who have the mark of the beast or the sign of God. Yes, the mark of the beast once again will be enforced. No one will be able to hold a job or engage in business without it. But if you obey God, if you are watching, praying without ceasing, you shall be accounted worthy to escape and come under God's protection. Luke 21, verse 36, end of quote. The mark of the beast is not a digital currency, but a government-controlled digital financial system could be one of various means to ensure that this mark is enforced. It's time for today's Last Word. What is the most important factor in choosing a church? That it's a familiar denomination, that it's close to your home, it has an engaging pastor, it has nice people? Well, the right answer depends not on what seems right, but on solid understanding of fundamental Bible truths. The Bible actually says there are churches that can lead you away from God. Christians are to follow Jesus Christ, but he himself warned in Matthew 24 that false churches would arise, claiming to speak in his name. He told his disciples, take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying I am Christ, and shall deceive many. The Apostle Paul also warned in 2 Corinthians 11 against, quote, false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Did you know that Satan has ministers? To discern a false minister or a false church, you have to know the teachings of Jesus Christ. If you casually accept a church's teachings because it sounds right, you'll be led astray. Follow the examples of the Bereans in Acts 17. Search the scriptures to see whether what you're hearing matches the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 instructs us, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Now, Jesus prophesied of false Christian churches, but he also promised that his church, which he personally founded, would always exist. I will build my church, he said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So his true church exists somewhere on earth today. To recognize that church, you need to understand the purpose for which Christ founded it. Now, this may shock you, but the Bible clearly shows the church's purpose is not 
to help God save the world. Jesus didn't try to gain converts. He didn't invite people to give their hearts to him or accept him as their personal savior. He called out 12 disciples. He gave them special instruction, but he hid the truth from almost everyone else. In Matthew 13, Jesus told these few men, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have seen them not. Jesus gave that understanding to only a handful. He called his church a little flock, and after his death, only 120 people still followed him. But the rest of the world was cut off from God, and still is. The Bible shows that God does have a master plan for saving the world, even those now dead who were not true Christians. But that phase of his plan comes after Christ's second coming. God's church today will be actively preparing for the return of Christ and the time when they will help God offer salvation to all humanity. Churches that don't know this fundamental biblical truth are not being led by Jesus Christ and will lead you into serious error. This raises another crucial point regarding the question of which church to attend. The Bible shows not only that Jesus Christ founded the church, but also that he is its living head. He actively guides it. Does it make sense that the church that Christ founded would be divided into many sects and denominations? That Christ would lead different organizations, each teaching different and conflicting doctrines? God is not the author of confusion. He does things decently and in order. So teachings that contradict can't all be true and cannot be inspired by Christ. The reality is Jesus Christ founded one church and he actively leads only one church. No other teaching can be supported by scripture. God inspired the Apostle Paul to write in 1 Corinthians 1, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That is true unity. We should expect to see that level of unity within the Christ-led body of believers. Now, the many differing and opposing churches of Orthodoxy, Catholicism, and Protestantism definitely do not all speak the same thing. When you're looking for which church to be a part of, the very existence of so many churches, denominations, and sects believing vastly different doctrines emphasizes how easy it is to become part of a false church. Find the true church by comparing its teachings with the Bible. You can do this doctrine by doctrine. If you want more biblical guidance on this process, you should read our article, Where is God's True Church Today? We'll put it in the show notes for this program. You can find it at pcg.church. For a more comprehensive understanding, request Mystery of the Ages by Herbert W. Armstrong and read chapter 6 
the mystery of the church. I'm Joel Hilliker, and that will do it for today's Trumpet Hour. You can send me any thoughts on today's program to letters at thetrumpet.com. Thanks to our contributors, Andrew Miller, Jeremiah Jacques, and Josue Michels. Thanks to Nick Irwin, Dwight Falk, and Parker Campbell for engineering and production. I'll leave you with this thought from Napoleon Hill. No man can succeed in a line of endeavor which he does not like. Thank you for joining us on Trumpet Hour. Until next time, keep watching your world. Listening to Trumpet Hour on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, and online at kpcg.fm. Understand your world.